According to a survey done by the Barna Group in 2017, 79% of Americans say they have prayed at least once over the last three months. Praying by far is the most common faith practice. Now, obviously, praying once every three months does not qualify you for prayer warrior knighthood, but it is interesting that it is so, uh, uh, that prayer is so common. Among those things most commonly prayed for were needs for family, giving thanks, personal guidance in a crisis, health, confession, forgiveness, and safety. But it's kind of strange to look out on our culture right now and think that uh, a majority of these people believe in prayer. And even a non-believer would have to say at the very least that prayer is a phenomenon. Now, everyone that prays doesn't know Christ, and not everyone that prays is going to uh, pray to the same God or even believe in God at all. In fact, 28% of those people that have prayed in the last three months claim they're not affiliated at all with any faith. But it is interesting to think that we, as a human race, as a culture, at least in America, feel this need to connect with something bigger outside of ourselves. In fact, that is something we are born with. This is an innate trait that we all have, this need to connect with something bigger than us. Uh, Romans 1.18 talks about this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. See, we are each born with this knowledge of God. God has revealed it to us. And now prayer is not something we just can do. Prayer is something that we need to do. We are born with a knowledge of God that is clear and a need to connect to him. Last week, we started to break down the Lord's Prayer, making sure that we don't just jump into a laundry list of needs, but actually remembering who we are talking to. And we started off like God's Word does in, in Luke 11 with the word Father. Father. Remembering who we're talking to and, and how we should look at God as a Father and how He looks at us as a child. If you've accepted the gift of salvation, then he sees you as one of his own. You've been adopted, so you can go in prayer to your father. Next, it said, hallowed be your name. Beautiful is your name. God is bigger than just some cosmic genie that you ask all these requests of. No, you are holy, God. You deserve our surrender, our trust, and our faith, and our respect. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You are in charge, God. Your kingdom come. I want to join you where you are working. I'm not trying to get you on all of my plans. I'm waiting on you to show me where to go and where to step. Your kingdom come. Next we see in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Let's go back and we'll read all through this again. If you want to turn there, we'll be here all morning. 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. That next thing he says is, give us today our daily bread. Most of us have never wondered where our next meal was going to come from. But the point here is that we develop a posture of dependence on God. Because our sin always pushes us toward independence, that we can do it on our own. And we constantly need to realign our heart with the idea that anything that I have today is because God gave it to me. In the Old Testament, shortly after the Israelites escaped Egypt, they ran out of food. But God heard their cry and fed them supernaturally uh, through manna and the daily supply of manna. And they would go out each day and they would pick up this manna, but they could not save the manna or it would spoil. And this is the point of praying things like, give us today our daily bread. It pushes your heart towards dependence on God. God, today I need wisdom. God, today I need strength. God, today I need safety and protection. Today I need it. And this also reminds us not to worry so much about things that we're anxious about three months from now, problems and needs that we have three months from now. But instead, God, give me today what I need today. Philippians 4, 6 spells this out for us. It says, do not be anxious about anything. How many of y'all are real good at that, right? I'm never anxious about anything. You're a liar if you think that that's true. And some of us are worse than others. I know I'm someone that can tend. I feel like I can solve every problem in my brain if I just think hard enough about it. I can figure out what everybody else is thinking. I can figure out what the best way to go is. But here it says, don't be anxious about anything, but instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Imagine if... Instead of being worried and anxious about something, you put all that energy into praying about it. Imagine how much we would pray. You wouldn't feel at all that tinge of conviction we all feel when someone talks about prayer. Like, oh man, I'm really not that good at that. I don't don't know anybody that really feels like they have prayer figured out, and that's probably a good thing. If you think you've got it all under control, you're probably uh, not doing something right. Um, But What if we, instead of we're anxious about everything, what if instead we put all that energy and all that power and that time and that focus into prayer? Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Well, what type of stuff should you pray about? What does God want us to pray about? What is worth praying about and what's, worth, uh, what's not worth praying about? Well, anything you're tempted to be anxious about is something that you can pray about. See, take it to the Lord in prayer. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. J.D. Greer compiled a list of some things in God's Word that people prayed about. 
And some of them are really spiritual, and some of them are really not spiritual. Let's read through this list. They're up on the screen. Zacharias and Elizabeth wanted a family when they couldn't have kids, so they prayed for a son. Solomon prayed for wisdom in his new job. Eleazar prayed that he uh, would meet a pretty girl that he could set up his master Isaac with. Samson prayed for water when he was thirsty and superhuman strength to accomplish a task. Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still so he could finish a battle. Daniel had a weird dream and he didn't know what it meant, so he prayed for the interpretation. Gideon thought God was calling him to do something, but he wasn't sure, so he prayed for confirmation that he should do it. We see these things. Samson prayed for water. Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still. David prayed for forgiveness after committing adultery with Bathsheba. And he prayed that God would give him a clean heart and a renewed, steadfast spirit. Elijah prayed for rain. Paul prayed for some uh, thorn in his flesh that bothered him, that it would be taken away. The disciples prayed for boldness. Fathers in the New Testament prayed for their little girls to get better. Peter asked Jesus' help for uh, needs with his taxes. Amen, right? I can feel that one. Jesus told his disciples to pray to get out of temptation. He prayed the disciples would stop acting like dummies and just be unified. Jesus told us to pray for lost people and pray for workers that would get them the gospel. All the apostles prayed for Jesus to come back quickly. So here's the point. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about Everything, letting your requests with thanksgiving be known to God. Here's the rule. If it matters to you, it matters to God and you can pray about it. If it matters to you, it matters to God and you can pray about it. God wants you to depend on him. And a big part of that is through prayer. Paul Miller said this. He said, learning to pray doesn't offer us a less busy life, but it offers us a less busy heart. In the midst of outer busyness, we can develop an inner quiet by spending time with our Father in prayer. We integrate our lives with His, with what He is doing in us, and our lives become more coherent. They feel calmer, more ordered, even in the midst of confusion and pressure. Have you ever known someone that even facing a terrible, uh, just hard circumstance that they had that calm and you're like, why are you so calm? And they say, I just trusted in God. I've just put it in his hands. I don't know what else I can do about it. I just decided I'm going to trust in God. And that's what prayer can do for you. You begin to rely and say, God, I can't fix this in my head. I can't get out a, a note and write all these plans down. But God, I trust that you know where I'm at today and that you love me and that you care about me and that you want to work this out in some way for good. Now, whether that's good, where it feels good, it doesn't say that. It says he can work it out for good. And sometimes that means he's going to make you and work your character out. But you got to put that faith and trust in God. Next, in Luke chapter 11, verse 4, it says, Forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Confession is a very important part of prayer. 
We need to repent and seek forgiveness of sins so that those sins don't grow and spread within us. Because here's an amazing truth. Sin loses its power when it's exposed to the light. Sin loses its power when it's exposed. A CR is all built on this principle of exposing these things and confessing our sins to one another. It's so far and so deep ingrained in who they are. Every time someone talks on the stage, they say, hi, my name's Phil. I'm a grateful believer of Jesus Christ, and I struggle with this. And I think our church and our life groups could benefit from a little bit more of that confession and a little bit more of that uh, transparency that I struggle too. How many of y'all struggle with stuff? Now look around. Leave your hands up. Look around. You're not the only one. Stop hiding it from everybody else. Stop acting like nobody else can see what's going on. Now, I don't mean like diving deep into all the details of your sin, obviously not, but just saying, hey, I struggle. I am a mess, and I, lo- I love God, and he loves me, and he forgives me for it, and I'm just trusting him. I don't have it all together. And that's what so much, uh, many times, turns the world off to church because they think, all those people think they have it all together, and they come dressed up in their suits, and, and they, they don't have, they think they don't, have any trouble, that's not true. But the only way they'll know that is if we are honest that we struggle and we have hurts and we have pains and we have doubts and we have questions just like everybody else. And that only happens when we begin to confess. Confess what we struggle with. Forgive us our sins, God. First, we confess our our sins to God and our faults to God. And then, if it's appropriate, we should confess to the people that we have sinned against. Don't skip that step. If you've hurt somebody with your attitude, the things you've said, the things you've cut, it's, it's good to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, but the Bible also tells us that we ought to go to the person and say, hey, look, I had a bad attitude about you. I've held bitterness against you, and I apologize. I've done that to people, and that person's looked at me like, what in the world are you talking about? I had no idea that you were mad about anything or that you had anything against me. And oftentimes, that's what that bitterness does in us. We drink the poison, and we hope the other person dies. And we think we're really hurting them by just holding stuff against them, and the other person doesn't even realize that we exist. And we're hurting ourselves. But it's good to say, God, I'm sorry about this, but I'm also, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to go and I'm going to apologize to the person that I have had ill feelings towards. Sin loses its power when it's exposed to the light. See, our hearts are so dull sometimes that, and that means that we have to think for a few minutes sometimes to remember some type of sin to confess. But you should know yourself well enough to know what you struggle with. And those struggles are a good place to start when you're thinking about what you need to confess. Maybe you have some uh, anger issues. Well, when you're going to pray, say, God, was there a time when my anger began to get stoked up today? Oh, yeah, I remember. My boss told me this, and I began to feel that heat rise up the back of my head, and that tingles down my spine where I knew I was getting mad. God, forgive me for that. 
Maybe you struggle with lust and you got to ask yourself, God, today was there a time when I was at the mall that I let my eyes wander and I let my mind go where it shouldn't go? And God, help me to remember that all people are made in your image and they are worth more than just for me to oogle at. God, forgive me for those things. You would be surprised how quickly the rest of those things you struggle with bubble to the surface as you begin to think about those things that you're struggling with. And that's important for many reasons, to make sure that you're not, uh, you, between you and God, there's not anything, but also to remind yourself that you don't have it all together and that you can't look down your nose on anyone else around you because you are just a sinner saved by grace like they are. And that's why that next part says, God, forgive us our sins, but also help me to forget those that have sinned against me. Confession changes our attitude towards others. And when we realize how much we are forgiven, we are more prone to have compassion on those that have hurt us. Commentators point out here that this is written as a communal prayer, the Lord's Prayer. All the pronouns in these verses are we us, they're all plural. And today when we think about prayer and confession, we like to think of those as just personal things, things that we do alone. But there's also a corporate element to these things and praying together. And we need to pray together, not just for each other, but with each other. We do this every Sunday morning with our volunteers We come together at 920 in the Monroe building and we pray together that we would have a unified heart, that we would have a unified spirit, and that we would realize that we can't do it on our own strength. And this job that we have, these things that we're doing are bigger than just ourselves. And we are, as a church, we're going to practice that here in a moment as well. Lastly, Luke chapter 11 verse 4 says, lead us not into temptation. We talked about sin and temptation a few weeks ago and that that sin always brings pain. But see, the problem is is that sin looks really tempting. And without God's guidance and protection and provision, we will head towards sin like a pig towards slop. Scripture says that the natural man does not desire the things of God. So faith, the love of God, loving purity and truth and righteousness. These things are no longer natural for us because we are fallen. So that means the over, without the overcoming grace of God working in us, all of us, including me, will fall away. We need God's grace. If you've been a Christian for very long, you have seen temptation overcome some of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I could probably name a dozen or more students that I went to Bible college with that has, had amazing talents. And you would look at them and you would say, hey, that person's going to just do amazing things for God. They had a beautiful voice. They had all the gifts in the world, but they, they fell. And they got kicked out. Well, how do you go from, you know, real potential for God to, to falling so far? It's because sin is standing at the door waiting to jump on us and to take us down. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or whether you're a new Christian, you've got to be conscious of the fact that sin is all around us and it's so tempting 
And if we put our life on autopilot, we will fall. We probably could go around the room and name dozens of pastors that we have known that have fallen in the ministry. And it's so sad when you see it, but it could happen to any one of us if we're not careful. Our natural man does not desire the things of God. See, our flesh and our sin, uh, if we begin to take our eyes off the fact that we're struggling and that we're just guilty sinners saved by grace, if we begin to take our eyes off of that, we will fall. A Christian counselor, Paul Tripp, was asked how so many seemingly mature Christians and godly people suddenly fall into sin. He said there's two things that he's noticed. One, they get disconnected from authentic community. They don't have anyone in their life to tell them, hey, that's not right. That's number one. They've disconnected. No one will say to them, hey, you can't do that. Hey, you said this and that wasn't okay. They've got no one to tell them that. And number two, they forget about the power of indwelling sin. See, whether you've been saved for a long time or whether you've just gotten saved and accepted Christ, you still have the ability to be just as wicked and heinous with your life as anybody else if you allow it to happen. We've got to be aware that temptation is right around the corner. You cannot let your guard down. You cannot do this in your own strength. You need to pray for strength to resist temptation. We need the grace of God. We need to pray for each other. And you need to pray for your pastor. God, lead me not into temptation. God, I know left to myself, I will destroy myself. God, give me grace. Deliver us from evil. But don't get discouraged. God will make a way of escape from any temptation that you have. God wants to deliver you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What does that mean? It means you've never had a situation in your life where you didn't have the ability to resist sin if you would rely on God. Sometimes we like to blame our sins on other people. Well, if this person wouldn't have done that, and if that person wanted to do this, then I wouldn't have done that. That would have been the solve. No, God says here that he has made a way of escape so that you could push through and push past sin. God wants to help you. Ask and take that way of escape when God gives it. That's happened to me many times where I could feel the, the stress and the pool of temptation and something, someone calls, someone texts me, something happens, and all of a sudden I'm like, man, I think that might be God trying to get me out of this, trying to get my attention, trying to get me to divert my attitude or change my mind. Take that way of escape when God gives it. Father, you are holy. I want your will to be done on this earth. Give me exactly what I need to make it through today. God, I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. But today, I am trusting in you. Forgive me for the sins I've committed. I don't want anything in between us. God, give me the grace not to fall into temptation. Deliver me. 
And if you don't have an active prayer life, this outline uh, on how to pray directly from the lips of Jesus is an amazing place to start. No, not just blindly reciting it over and over again mindlessly. You would just be uh, wasting your breath. But instead, breaking it down and making sure you have each one of these elements in your prayer life. And then starting off here and then just diving on and pouring out your heart to God. But also not forgetting to pause and listen. Not for a sign or an audible voice, but for an impression on your heart for God to lead you in the way that he wants to lead you. Real quick, before we go, here's some more practical things that you can do to jumpstart your prayer life. You could take a morning walk. I like to do this. I'll walk around the gym. Darren will come up there and be like, what are you doing? I'm praying. Leave me alone. Go, go somewhere else. Uh, walk around the gym. Don't have my phone in my hand, uh, you know, and just pray. And sometimes it's good to pray out loud, even though that seems weird. And over, even though if someone sees you, they might think you're nuts. But what it does is it focuses you. That's another reason why I like to write out my prayers sometimes, too. Because my mind is all over the place. I might have ADD. I'm not sure about it. But if I see something shiny or something beeps, I'm automatically, my, you know, prayer just goes off the back of my uh, list of priorities. Take a morning walk. Set a reminder on your calendar to pray for specific things and needs at specific times. You could use a prayer app like Echo Prayer, Prayer Mates, or Evernote, and that would help you organize and keep track of your prayer needs. I like this next one. It's do prayer cards where you would uh, write a name on that card, a prayer request for that person, and a piece of scripture that you're believing for those people. Maybe you pray in the moment with people. I do this a lot because I don't trust my memory at all. Someone asks to pray, a lot of times I'll just say, hey, do you mind if we pray right now about that? So I don't say, yes, I will pray about that and then forget about it forever. How terrible would that be? You go on a prayer walk around your neighborhood or office or some part of the city. Another thing to do, uh, Alan told me that he likes to do this, is short prayers, not uh, it, he, he, what he told me was that long prayers didn't seem to work for him, so he decided instead to do many short prayers instead. You could do two or three short prayers throughout the day, maybe morning, lunch, before bread, uh, bread, bed, and bread right before lunch. Uh, pray regularly with your kids. Let them hear you pray. Uh, there's a kid's version of Acts. Remember we talked about that. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and su uh, supplication. And here's a, a short one for kids that's, wow, what, how did God wow you today? Sorry, what did you do that you need to say sorry for? Thanks, God, thanks for this, and help. Help me to do this in the future. Another great way to uh, stir up your prayer life is have an accountability partner that says, hey, and I know, look, this might be weird, but you can pray over the phone with someone else. God's everywhere and he can hear it. You know, you don't have to actually be holding hands and like, you know, shouting your prayers at the top of the rooftop, you can pray over the phone. And you could say, hey, call me every day or I'll call you every day at 10 o'clock. Let's pray together. Here's what I'm trying to say. There's no excuse. We've got to do this. And even when it's hard and even when we're going through a dry patch, push through it. But don't be satisfied with just a dry and dead prayer life. Mix it up. Do something different. Whatever you decide to do, just pray. You need it. You need it more than just once every three months. You need it every day. 
And in the end, the best way to learn to do it is to push through the tough parts and decide, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to make sure it's not just mechanical, but it is fresh. Why? Because you need your daily bread. So we're going to go ahead this morning and do something a little bit weird, okay? How many excited about that? Yeah. We love weird stuff, right? We've talked about how the Lord's Prayer is meant to be in community. Us, we, are. So this morning we're going to get a little bit weird and we're going to pray together, okay? The band's going to come right now. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to break up in little groups, two or three people, men and women, you know, men with men, women with women, unless you're here with your spouse, and that's great. You guys pray together, bring your kids in, bring your parents in. And I know we don't have a great, uh, you know, set up here for you to like really just spread out, but just scoot next to the person next to you. Maybe you say, hey, I'm not comfortable in leading prayer. That's awesome, by all means. But just pick someone in that little huddle, prayer huddle, that can lead in prayer. And let's pray through this. Let's use this model. Uh, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us today the bread that we need. And go through all of these things. We also have uh, up on the screen some of our long-range prayer needs that you can take a couple of those and pray over those things as well. We've got uh, some big needs as a church. So we're just going to take like five or ten minutes. This should be, and I know it's going to be weird, but this should be completely natural for us to go and find two or three people to huddle up and pray together. I know it's going to take a little bit of boldness, but I know that you See the importance of this. So let's go ahead and do this right now. Don't leave anybody alone. You see someone down the end of your pew, say, hey, come, come pray with us.